Welcome to Canada's podcast. Hi, this is Celine Williams, hosting from Ontario for Canada's podcast. My guest today is Adam Nyman, who is the co-founder of Cubono and author of Fortune or Fiction, Why the Be Your Own Banker Concept is Flawed. Welcome, Adam. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. So I'm, I'd love if you could tell us a little bit about your journey as a, an entrepreneur and, you know, to get you to the point of writing this book, which has come out fairly recently. Yeah, sure. Um, so after university, I moved out West for a year, needed a year off. I didn't really know what to do with my life. So just skied and taught skiing out in Whistler for a year. Living the, dream. Um, living the dream, man. It was great. Uh, and I, I guess I got the entrepreneurial bug out there. I, you know, find, you know, used equipment, refurbish it and flip it. Um, it wasn't like a long-term business, but not being paid very much. You find extra ways to make some cash. So when I got back home, it, it, honestly, it's like Neverland. You know, you would hang out with people. I was in my early 20s in their late thirties and forties who stayed out there in their entire life. And it's, they, they never grew up. Mm-hmm. So even though I wanted to kind of stay out there cause it was awesome, you know, that that's no way to, at least for me, it wasn't like a long-term strategy. Come back after a year. Don't want to go do a master's for sake of going back to school. And I had nothing to do and just started applying for jobs. And because I had my resume online, I was contacted by, an insurance company that basically said, do you want to sell life insurance? So my answer was no. And they said, well, you can make uh, 80K a year. Uh, we give you leads and all you need is a car. And I'm like, okay, like, why not give it a shot? Also at the time online, I noticed that there were a lot of, you know, decent paying financial services jobs and all of them required kind of one to three years of certified sales experience. So I said to myself, you know what, I'll, I'll try this out. Um, you could make unlimited money, opportunity <laughs> unlimited, right? Yep. Sure, we've all heard the pitch before, whether it's one of a number of different MLM style schemes or companies. And I said, you know what? I'll drink the Kool-Aid for a few years. If I can build a team and make some money, sweet, why not? There are a lot of young people seem to be doing very well in this. And if I survive a year and a half or two years and it doesn't work out for me, I have this certified sales experience. And there are all these jobs with insurance companies or banks that I could get. So it kind of checked a few boxes for me in that sense, you know, short-term potential, long-term potential. And at least I'm kind of building a resume for myself. Uh, and yeah, so I needed to get licensed and it took me about two months to pass the tests and do that. And uh, then started training immediately. So it was, even though it was MLM style, the nice part about it is, I don't know, I'm sure people listening have been multi-level marketing companies before. Everyone is a potential client and a potential employee. Uh, at least with this one, it was nice. It was completely separate. So um, the leads that we got, they were you know insurance leads, people that we could go sell insurance to, but we, the idea wasn't to go try to hire them on. What right. outside of the business separate from the actual building a team business. So we got these leads through uh, captive network through unions. Um, so we were brought into these homes via unions. So we were getting a list. We'd make 40 to 50 calls a day. I'd book four to six appointments uh, Monday to Friday in the evenings. And then usually one morning, Saturdays or Sundays. 
And the idea of four to six appointments a night, one would say no, uh, one would say yes. And the three in the middle were based on your ability to close. Everything was scripted and it was all about kind of going through the script, memorizing it because it worked, memorizing the objections because they worked, not talking too much, but just the right amount, getting comfortable with silence. And once you got good at the sales side, then the idea was, okay, now you go build a team. So you can have 10 atoms out there doing that for you and you can make money off of all their sales. That was the idea. And I was able to build a team pretty quickly because there was a gentleman in our office who was being paid to teach the life licensing course. I passed it pretty quickly, was comfortable with the material. And I offered to teach the course for free if I could kind of have the pick of people who would be put under me from the training classes. So it was great because I didn't have to really worry about going on Monster anymore to, to find my leads, to find people to hire. He needed people to teach the course and you'd have, you know, sometimes five up to 20 people in the room sometimes. And the ones that I connected with, the ones that I built a relationship with that liked me that I liked, I would just ask and he would kind of put them on my team. And it was constantly like two steps forward, 1.9 steps back. Um, They'd come, they'd stay, make a few sales. They realized it wasn't for them and then they'd leave. And I think after a few years, I had maybe two or three guys on my team, but I just knew that they wouldn't survive. I never was one to like be able to drink the Kool-Aid for very long. Mm. Um, you can only sell their product. You can only sell their insurance. You have to like position it in like a really weird way. It was only funeral plan insurance. So if someone had life insurance, we would say to them, oh, that's great. Cause this is not life insurance. This is just for your funeral. Um, which is, I don't know if it's not necessarily dishonest, but it's not, I don't know, not the cleanest, I guess you could say. A good example is term insurance. We didn't call it term insurance. We would call it replacement income. So instead of saying, Selena, I'm going to give you a hundred thousand of term insurance, I would say, we're going to, if something happens to you, your family will get $2,000 a month every month for 50 months or a thousand a month every month for a hundred months. So it was like, it was twists and Listen, it, it was real insurance. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, there were sadly some claims. Um, but after doing that for two to three years, constantly rebuilding teams, my girlfriend at the time saying, I'm not staying with you with this type of schedule. I just knew was, I was ready to move on. I was lucky that through my mom, I met a gentleman in the insurance financial services industry who did on, on the traditional side. He was licensed. He could place business with any insurance company he wanted. Um, he managed investments as well. And he invited me in and gave me an opportunity to start from scratch on my own. And through him, uh, he connected me, me with a few older advisors who had their own books of businesses that were small, that they were, one was looking to leave the business and move back home to the UK. And it was great because I basically spent you know $20,000 for a block of 400 clients. And that was amazing. Like I, I worked for three years learning how to deal with warm leads or semi-warm, well, semi-warm, let's say lukewarm leads. And now yep. I had 400 like actual customers. So it was just, I printed them all out and page by page calls, introductions, you know, kitchen table meetings. And those 400, I knew for a fact, those would last me two and a half years. So the way I saw it, it's like, sweet. I have two and a half years of runway, not including the referrals I'll invariably, I didn't just, 
it, it's fair to assume if you put work into people, they'll give your name. So not 400 referrals, but nonetheless, that kind of gave me something to start from. And I'm still working off that list today. It's just kind of snowballed into, you know, ideally a bigger ball, I guess, you know? Yeah. So then what was the transition from that to thinking, you know what I want to do? I want to write a book. Yeah, that's a good question. So a lot of times in my industry, when we're selling insurance and investment concepts, it's always forward looking. It's always like, this is what it is. This is what you're starting with. And this is what it'll be like in 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Mm-hmm. We don't do a lot of, oh, this was purchased back in 1971. And how does it look like today? That that really doesn't happen at all. Uh, generally because, well, people don't really, or at all, open up their parents' insurance policies. Most people really don't know what they have. And when someone passes away, it's, they're not going to be like, well, I wonder what dad was promised back in 1985. No, like you're dealing with a lot. You just you take the money, you got the money, and everyone moves on with their life. Mm-hmm. But through having these old books of businesses, one of them, I have a policy on the books from 1969, um, I, I started realizing that none of them, or the vast majority of them, looked anything like what was promised. And thankfully, the, the people that I took over from, they had some decent records. So like I saw the paperwork from the 70s and the early 80s. And nowadays, the values are a fraction of what was promised to them way back when. And it all came to a head when I met a client who is not receiving any dividends from this type of participating insurance policy. And I would ask the insurance company questions and I felt like I wouldn't get adequate answers. Uh, so much so that it's it's hard to understand exactly how these policies work. Mm. Meanwhile, they're sold in a way that, of course, it makes sense. And, and of course, you should get this because people have been doing this forever and we've been paying out dividends forever. And that really, in my opinion, based on what I saw, hasn't been the case. So because I've always had a hard time marketing myself. Well, to be honest, I never did just because I've never been the whole, you need life insurance to protect your family type of guy. Or what are you going to do with your diet? What, what are you going to do if you die? That's, <clears throat> I just, I just can't sell that way. It's way too, I'm uncomfortable ans- asking those questions. I guess also because if someone tried to, I'm really logical, at least I try to be. And if someone tries to get emotional with me, like I know it's a trick. And I think it, I think that goes back to my days selling the funeral plans because the emotional side of selling was always pushed so hard. I think now I'm just hypersensitive to it. And anytime someone tries to twist my emotions, my, you know, the red light goes up. But basically, I've always been looking for a way to market myself. And then around this time, I saw a lot of stuff online with regards to the Bureau and Banking and Infinite Banking concept, which kind of makes these long-term claims about how great these products will be and 20, 30, or 40, or 50 years. Specifically, infinite banking would be, you know, dividends for life. So if someone's claiming that you get dividends for life, meanwhile, I have clients who aren't getting dividends for life. If they're building their business off of these claims, there's no reason I can't build my own business off of being an opposing view to these claims. Mm-hmm. And I did have kind of you know, everyone wants to kind of thumb their nose to the system sometimes. You know, I wanted to maybe have this under an article, get it in the papers, but I just realized like, I don't want to battle anybody. I don't want to battle the insurance companies. You know, th- 
99% of what they sell is important, good, and needed. And I thought to myself, and it was actually my give my marketers credit for this. They thought it was much better if you kind of tone down as an ebook, kind of an information piece, something I can build business off of rather than just trying to be a right fighter in a battle that, you know, I'm probably going to lose that really doesn't serve me or my professional needs or, or anybody for that matter, you know? So you mentioned infinite banking in there, and I'm wondering if you can, for those listening who are like, what, what was that term that was used? Cause I guarantee there's going to be people who have never heard right. it. What, what does that mean? And what is the, like, since it's part of the reason that you wrote this book to begin with, can you just tell us a little bit what that is? So the infinite banking and be your own, becoming your own banker or be your own banking concept is the idea of using investment grade insurance as a long-term investment asset, which it can be and it is. Um, the infinite banking and be your own banking pitch is very specific. So it says, the problem with borrowing money from the bank, and no one likes to borrow money, they only do because they have to, is that you're paying them interest. That's the cost of using someone else's money. But if I said to you, what if you could borrow from yourself? People would be like, well, yeah, I don't want to, if I borrow from CIBC, CIBC gets the interest. But if I borrow from myself, I get the interest. It's much, I want that interest. How do I do it? And it's through dividend paying life insurance. You buy a policy, that's a life insurance policy. And as part of the premiums, you're making contributions to this participating fund. And at the end of the year, that fund pays you returns in the form of dividends. And because those dividends will come back to you because the interest that you're paying into the fund when you borrow against your policy is coming back to you in the form of dividends, you're effectively recapturing that interest and making the interest. And I had a few problems with these claims because A, it's impossible to know whether or not you'll continue to get dividends for life. Because as I said, my experience with my clients who are getting fractions or a few getting nothing, um, they're not getting dividends. So you know, you're, who knows if that's going to be the case. And secondly, saying that you're making your own interest is a very specific claim. Saying that you're borrowing from yourself is a very specific claim. Um, but you're effectively not. You are borrowing from a fund and paying them interest. And it's true, you have a vested interest in that fund. But the problem is, is you don't, you aren't paid dividends based on the performance of the underlying fund. You're being paid dividends based on the accuracy of assumptions that they are making for you. So if you've been presented this concept, you see a chart of values and numbers always go up and your policy is going to be worth a million now and 10 million when you're 85 and you pass away and the money goes to your family. So the question is, how do they get from a million to 10 million? Well, if you are a traditional investment guy, you build in a rate of return and that compounds annually. And you can say, I believe it's going to be 5% a year or this stock or this fund is going to do 5% a year for the next 20 years. And this is what you'll have. And then you can dispute whether or not that 5% is accurate. Or you can say, well, what if let's go on the low end, let's call it what, what about 1% or what if it does really well and does 10% and you know exactly kind of where the returns come from. And you can say, I believe it could be closer to 10% because these stocks are 
poised for growth and Tesla's going to be the next huge fucking thing. So there's many reasons why two people can agree or disagree, you know, what someone's returns will be. The problem is, is that these illustrations, it's set in stone. The insurance company is making certain predictions. The problem is, is you're not told what those predictions are. And what I've learned is that these predictions are very heavily, de heavily dependent on interest rates. So we're in a rising interest rate environment. This could very well be one of the best times in history to buy one of these participating policies because as interest rates rise, you have the benefit of those dividends, which are heavily dependent on interest rates. My only problem is that you're not told what those assumptions are. They're mm -hmm. actually proprietary. So if you say to an insurance company, okay, so you know what the lapse is, you know how many people will cancel, you know how many people will die, you know how many people will get sick and borrow, you know how many people will keep the policy forever. You pretty much are confident what the returns will be within a certain range. You know they're not going to be negative, you know they're not going to be plus 10 over a 30, 40, 50 year period. Look at the S&P. I think we're pretty confident what the returns will be. Therefore, what are the assumptions? And they say, well, no, that's our secret sauce. And that's not good enough for me. And I'm not saying they can't have their secret sauce. That's yeah. okay. But I think if you're going to be putting a lot of money into something for the rest of your life, I think it's fair to ask those questions. And I think it's fair for them to kind of tell you what their assumptions are. And I also think objectively, this should be what the competitive landscape is. Different insurance companies making different predictions with regards to where they see the world in 20, 30, 40, 50 years. We're at ABC Insurance, we are big into AI in space. That's where our investments are going. Or other insurance companies says, no, we believe interest rates are going to keep going up. We're all about government debt because that will play, pay the yield. And let people decide or even share what their assumptions are and I can evaluate. But if an insurance company says to me, you know, something's proprietary and we're not going to tell you, listen, I'm just going to decide not to buy that product. At a deeper level, if this is the case, you can't make these claims like, A, you're going to make dividends for life because there's no way to know. And B, you can't make the claim that you're making the interest because you're not making the interest. I gave the example in my book of about um, someone who has a paid off condo and borrowing from a bank. So condo's paid off. It's worth, I don't know, a million bucks. You go to CIBC and they say, we'll give you a line of credit for 650000 against the value of your condo. And then take that $650,000 and actually buy CIBC stock. That's a, actually a pretty good strategy because the dividends will pretty much almost pay for all the interest expense. And then you participate in the upside of the stock as it goes up in price. Now, even though that's a good thing to do, as borrowing against your life insurance policy is a good thing to do, I don't think any advisor would say, now you're recapturing the interest you paid to CIBC. Now you're making what CIBC makes. Like You're not making what CIBC makes. You are borrowing to invest, to make money, which is like awesome and like totally do it, but you don't need to mischaracterize what it is and make it seem more than what it is for the purpose of selling an investment. And insurance advisors shouldn't make these products seem like more than what they are for the purpose of selling an insurance policy. Because what's happening is people are buying these things who otherwise wouldn't buy it based on these assumptions. And that's my big thing. Um, these are great products for like uber wealthy. Um, and wealthy people do use them and they use them because they have more money than the rest of us and that they need more things to put money into. But I don't think someone with significantly less means who's trying to build that portfolio, trying to get started, I don't think it's smart for them to buy into this concept based on this misconception. You know, 
if you're only buying this because I believe that I'm making the interest instead of the interest losing me, that's just incorrect. I very much appreciate the explanation. And I think that distinction is really important. We don't always think about it. There are products that if you have a ton of disposable income and you're looking for places to invest, great, this might be the thing to do. But if mm-hmm. you are thinking this is an, you know, I still get to borrow money and make my own, like make the interest back. And this makes sense from yeah. it's going to save me money in the long run or whatever that logic that it triggers in your brain. Cause it does. When you hear that, you're like, yeah. Oh, so I'm saving money. Like I'm not. Well, yeah. It's not spending. Money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're not doing you a favor. Like it's, I, I was introduced to somebody who read my, who read my ebook a few days ago and she's been battling with her advisor with regards to this concept, because she just hasn't hasn't been able to get her hand head around it. And after a few chats with her, her, she is. And the first thing she said to me was, "But I don't need life insurance." I'm like, "Okay, well, you're you're done. That's it. That's the that's the first you know step of the flow chart. Do I need life insurance? If no, then like it's over. Then and you yeah. don't need life insurance. No. If yes, then like it can continue, and maybe we'll get down the cascade to why this is a fit in your insurance portfolio. The irony behind this ladies that she's a real estate investor and she's a decent portfolio with a bunch of debt on it. And her whole plan is to like spend it all. There's no kids. She has um, a common law spouse, but they keep everything separate. And her goal is to kind of sell it all at like some age and then just spend the rest of the money. So I said to her, I'm like, actually you should probably get a critical illness policy. Like if you get sick, there's an influx of capital. It wipes the debt on all your properties. And there's your goal. And if you serve, and if you don't get sick over the next twenty years, your product, your properties are paid off anywhere, and you hit your goal. So the irony is that her advisor was so focused on selling this beyond banking co- concept that there was actually a bigger sale there that was an actual need. And I, I found it really funny because I was like, "Oh, this guy's going to make a lot of money on this." Like, I think that's the point here. He doesn't really care about your needs. And then ironically, at the end of the meeting, I'm like, holy shit, I just pitched something like twice the price, but actually on the need. And it kind of made me think that, wow, this, this Bureau and Banking, Infinite Banking concept, it's actually a cult. Um, it's, it's not like a product. It's, it's people that only, or advisors who only see, who see every insurance sale through this lens. Um, now, I don't blame them for it. You know, they're trained by someone who told them that and everyone told them that. And I guarantee you, more advisors would feel the way I did if they had the experience of taking over old books of business. Like, I'm not some genius here. You know, it's not like I went into the library and tried to search old life insurance policy, what's going on. This kind of happened by chance, just fell into my lap. Um, and I'm happy it did, you know, because it's very important to kind of look at what didn't work then and not try to do better now. And I mentioned this in my book, the, the whole vanishing premium situation with insurance companies dating back to the 70s. Um, major lawsuits. Why? Because advisors then made very specific claims with the support of the insurance company, which is you buy this, you pay for it for four or five years, and then the dividends pay for it, and you won't have to pay for it anymore. And that was very specific. They were sued because I bought this, I paid for it for five years, but now I have to pay again. You said I wouldn't have to pay anymore. So I'm suing you. Now the claims are much more open-ended. Like, oh, you recapture the interest. Dividends for life. Pension. They're not talking about five years from now. They're talking about 50 years from now. 
And like, who the hell is going to be around in 50 years from now to evaluate this? And the worst part is, is God forbid, if something happens to you, people confuse the insurance proceeds with the policy working. So, you know, I sold a policy like this to you and you kind of, you know, passed away, your family would get the money and they would be like, oh, it worked. Well, yeah, of course, like it's, it's life insurance, but that doesn't necessarily mean in the long run, you would have had, your family would have received on paper what was promised. And the reality is, is your kids and your children's children, when that check does come, they're not going to go back into dad's documents and be like, oh, was this, was this what you were promised? No, they, someone just passed away. They got the life insurance money. It's done, you know? So it's kind of, kind of sad in that sense, you know? They kind of are capitalizing on the fact that the can's being kicked so far down the road. You know, most of the people selling these products today, they're going to be dead, you know, by the time there's any issue being noticed with these policies. And that, to me, I don't think they, they, they know this. I don't think they've seen what I see. And they're just trying to, everyone, life's hard, man. Everyone's trying to make money, make a buck. People want to get ahead. Life's really expensive. Big policies equal big sales. It's a safe asset that you can borrow against. The likelihood of someone over five to 10 to 15 years, really noticing that something is off is very low. Um, I think about the example of the, how, how NASA, they fired a, a satellite into like an asteroid, like hundreds of miles away to see if they could deflect it off course, trying to protect us from it. And, and that's kind of like what I liken it to. Um, even though the numbers are off by a little bit, you know, over 30 or 40, 50 year period, that could be a massive difference. The same idea, you just push that asteroid of course, just a millimeter and something that would be a doomsday rock is now just something else that's, you know, flying by earth. And it's the same thing with this. I see illustrations that they're only off by a few thousand bucks in the first year or second year, but that few thousand dollars in year one or two could be millions of dollars in 50 or 60 years. And every year it's like a death by a thousand cuts. You're not, there's no going to be one, there's never going to be one aha moment that you're like, oh, here it is. Like I knew this was the year I was going to get that's just not how it works. Mm. Every year, it's a little bit more off, a little bit more off. And if you get an explanation as to why it's off, like a specific explanation, then that's great. You can evaluate it. But when I'm being told, you know, it's proprietary and we don't have to disclose things to you, that's okay. But I think that should be shared a little bit more. The idea that these products being a black box where you have no control, these things are pitched as full control. So I just think these products should be sold honestly because we already had this mistake in my in our industry with regards to the vanishing premium litigation and the last thing i want is that to happen again sadly this time around it's the advisors who are making the claims these generally aren't supported by the insurance company like i've never seen an ad saying you know x life insurance co we love the beyond banking concept like it, it doesn't happen it's not out there at all it's by design these companies aren't stupid you know they know that I believe it's a little bit conspiracy theory here, but I genuinely believe that they know that these claims are off. But then again, they're not supporting them. It's the advisor who's pushing them and they're the ones that are going to have to deal with the issues in the future. Now, maybe there won't be issues. Maybe because of the changes, maybe because of interest rates, dividends will be exactly as advertised. And that's what I'm hoping for because I still have a few of these policies on the books. I, I, I sold before I kind of went down the, this path. But even if they are on point, and even if you're getting exactly what you were promised you were going to get, I still think they owe you 
that transparency. Yeah. I, um, I think it's a really wonderful thing that you took the time to write this book to help educate people because that combination of things not being presented clearly, maybe, right? There's not a lot of clarity in what's being presented. It's it's whether it's intentionally dishonest is not the point per se, right? It's yeah, more I agree. like it's it's more that it's not clear and they're not sharing all the information. If that's happening on the industry side, then the more individuals that can actually you know ask different questions or have this knowledge to say maybe this isn't the thing for me from the get-go that's that's extremely powerful and i think it's really great that you spent the time to write this and put that information out there because you don't know what you don't know and let's be honest most people the general public no offense to the general public is not extremely financially literate to even know what to ask it's so funny you mentioned financial literacy because like people are like, oh, we need people to be more financially literate. And I'm like, well, like they're okay, what does that mean? You know, like who is who's also teaching this literacy? Like who do we take that information from? Mm-hmm. A lot of people say, oh, financial literacy needs to be taught more in schools. Well, like, I don't know if I want government sponsored financial literacy, given what's going on in the world. You know, we're printing money left, right, and center. It's driving up the cost of everything meanwhile mm-hmm. the stock market and the housing market isn't tied to the consumer price index mm-hmm. so i believe the way we evaluate money finance and growth is completely off because we're not basing it on the right metrics do i want these people teaching my kids about financial literacy look at health there's a lot of education in health i don't think that we necessarily have a healthier you know country you know, so just because you just because you say, oh, people need to be more financially literate. Yeah, I agree. But the problem is a lot of the financial literacy comes from these large faceless financial institutions that are there to sell you products. They're not there to help you. Now, should they sell you products? Of course, like like but they're not. They're not charities, you know, they are for profit organizations that are trying to value drive value for their shareholders. You know, so I look at money as a medium, as a tool, and it's like a tool you need to learn how to work. And how do you learn how to work it work? You take a pile of it and you fuck up with it. That's what I genuinely believe. You open a trading account and you buy something and then you sell it. And you're like, how did that happen? And then you you follow that stock on your app and you're like, oh, it went up today. Why? Oh, it went down today. Why? And then you partner up with your friend to buy that house and rent it out. And you you try to go to the bank and buy a bond or you buy the chair. I see you, you work with this stuff. And then eventually over five or 10 years, you kind of get a feel for things. And then you eventually start to maybe be able to kind of predict things and see trends. And then you actually feel like you're informed. And then you feel comfortable asking questions. A lot of people who buy these products, they buy it from the people that they trust with their finances. And they're afraid to ask questions because they don't have the knowledge. And they're like, oh, this person has the knowledge and I don't. They're going to think like I'm, I'm, that I'm such an idiot asking this question. I trust them. I'll do it. And that's, that's, the problem. that's the irony of this product. It's sold as something for the financially literate. Meanwhile, it's really actually designed for 
I believe the financially illiterate. Like I've met people that are putting enough money into these things that they could buy a second house with. Like that's, that's an investment. That's an asset, you know, not, this is, this is a bill. You got to spend it every month or it goes by the wayside. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting point. And I agree with you. I don't know that it is maybe, I mean, I don't know who should be teaching financial literacy per se. I think it's one of those things that we always need to question the source of information. And if they are, everyone is biased in their own way, but where their biases may or may not lie and find various sources of information at the end of the day, a lot of it comes down to critical thinking. If you can assess these things, then you are on your way to being more financially literate, however you want to define that and wherever the information comes from, because you're actually thinking about them in an as unbiased a way as possible, We're asking the questions totally. to find that out. Yeah, and just do it yourself. Like, simple as that. There's, in the, with the internet, you can literally do anything you want. I have a friend of mine who used to be a truck driver and started doing home renos because he started watching videos on YouTube. I was a handy guy. Like I was going to break my hand if I tried to do that. I'm just not coordinated enough in that sense. But the fact that he learned how to like flip five or six houses now, just by starting to learn how to lay drywall through YouTube videos, like that's nuts. The amount of information on YouTube about like stocks and investing and trading or it's it's crazy. Like with a thousand dollars, the amount of practical education that you could get on your own and get a feel for financial instruments is just crazy. You know, it's really, it's really, it, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful mm-hmm. thing. And that's kind of going back to this whole concept. That's why it's harder with insurance because the insurance part of the financial services industry is less accessible. From yeah. that sense, you kind of have to go through brokers. Yeah. It's not like anyone can log in onto you know manualized site and r- run quotes for themselves. It's it's hard. You, you need to contract with them and have a license and they keep tabs on that as they should, you know, it's their software, but it's less accessible and people still need to go through brokers for that. So part of the industry is moving into that digital realm. But uh, as I said, there's not enough discussion in and around what was done in the seventies and eighties and therefore what you should do now. And, and that's okay. I, I, I don't mind if the insurance, I, I wish the insurance companies would be a little bit forthcoming about what happened and what they're doing now that's a little bit different. Maybe um, if specific questions were asked, you know, that would come up, but they always say the same thing, conservative approach, conservative approach, we're being more conservative about it. And I believe that they are. At the end of the day, the only reason that these products are still sold so much is because people who have them are getting dividends. I'm getting dividends for my kids' policies. They're great. Um, I don't deny that they're not great. Uh, It's just that I think it's important to tell people what is happening and what isn't happening. And people shouldn't buy into things based on these assumptions that are not tied to reality at all. Um, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me today and to share all this information. It's been really- no, I need to thank you. You're giving me, you're giving me the opportunity to chat here. It's not, thank you. Seriously. Um, is, is there, you know, before I tell people where they can find your ebook, which I will do, is there anything that we didn't get to, or that you really want to emphasize as part of this conversation? I think, I I think I emphasized it. You know, the one thing I'll say is I'm comfortably uncomfortable 
in my own finances because I've been willing to do it for myself. Whether it's stocks, made money and lost money buying and selling a stock, whether it's you know investing in a mortgage that I've done on my own, talk to the lawyer, whether it's enforcing a mortgage I've done on my own, talking to the borrower. These financial instruments start to get less complicated if you're willing to get your hands dirty a little bit. And you'll probably go down a rabbit hole and it'll make you angry, but at least you'll get a feel for kind of how the world works and you can't change the world. I feel like you just need to learn how to operate within it. And if you can be real, real comfortable understanding how the world works and how financial services world works, you'll just be able to approach things much better. You'll have a lot more fun meeting with people you'll be more informed and you'll eventually find and surround yourself with people with the same interests that you can grow your money in ways that actually works for you and doesn't just prop up the traditional financial services industry that's designed to make commissions and sell products to you, not actually help you make money. That's, so that's my, my one takeaway, get your hands dirty, do your own thing. You know, I think it's a great takeaway. Um, we are going to have links for uh, for how people can reach you, where to find you online in the show notes. Um, but the book specifically is at fortuneorfiction.ca. Yeah, fortuneorfiction.ca, exactly. And I highly recommend that all of the listeners and viewers of this go and check it out. It's really, it's a really valuable resource. Um, and thank you again, Adam, for taking the time to share with us and explain some of these pieces that I think people think are really complicated or maybe don't even, they wouldn't even know to ask about this going into these conversations. So thank you so much for sharing. It's really valuable. And your story uh, in and of itself to get here was super interesting. So very much appreciated. No, ditto. Thanks a lot for having me. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And for those who are listening or watching, thank you for listening to Canva's podcast. Like, comment, and subscribe to all our channels to get the latest podcasts from entrepreneurs across Canada.